Basketball season won't be around forever. Life is fleeting. Nothing lasts. So get in on all the action now with DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports. DraftKings is giving new players a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. Claim your free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes when using promo code THPN during sign-up. Playing daily fantasy basketball is simple. Just pick your lineup, stay under the salary cap, and see how your team stacks up against the competition. Feel the sweat like never before. Are you feeling sweaty right now, Taylor? Oh, man, I'm sweaty as hell. Oh, man. Well, every dunk, steal, assist, they all mean so much more with DraftKings Daily Fantasy lineup. Baseball fans, Taylor, you're a, you're one of those. You actually were just uh, watching the Yankees this past weekend. They uh, won. You- They did indeed, and you may have missed out on season-long fantasy, so now is the time to get in on all of the daily fantasy action where DraftKings has even more ways to make it rain. With DraftKings, payday comes every day for players. So what are you waiting for? So what do you got to do? You got to download the DraftKings app now. Use the code THPN, like we said. Use that during sign-up. And this week, DraftKings is putting you in the action with a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. I've already said that, so you should know that. That's a, T- a lot of dough. Oh, yeah. THPN, free shot, millions of dollars in prizes. Only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions, they apply. See DraftKings.com for details. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to our Monday episode of Straight Up Sabres, presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and Buffalo Fanatics. As always, I'm Brendan. And I'm Taylor. And we admittedly are recording this episode before Sunday's game. But with that being said, we still have a ton to talk about, namely Mr. Sam Reinhart, fresh off of a hat trick and just in general, pretty much leading the way for this Sabres team Taylor, where are you at with Sam Reinhart right now, especially considering that we are going to be heading into an off-season of contract negotiations with him? Uh, so it, with him as a player, great, like I have been for a while. As far as the contract goes, I still don't know what to think. Uh, so he's obviously an RFA, and he's one year away from UFA status, which means that if he wanted, he could just go to arbitration again, get a couple million dollars, whatever they, he'd end up getting, and then go to free agency next year and you know play wherever he wants, which is really unfortunate. But as far as his play, you know, he's great. He's obviously the team's MVP this year. He's going to be the leading scorer. Fantastic game on Friday. What, what else can you say about this guy? I mean, some people probably seem like they still don't uh, still don't buy in, but he's awesome and he's the kind of guy you want around long term. Couldn't agree more. I mean, you could have even said that he was the team's MVP before Jack Eichel was hurt, before Taylor Hall got traded. I mean, just all season long, the consistency with him has been there. And this is the quickest he's ever gotten to 20 goals in a season, which I think is particularly remarkable for him, especially in this abbreviated season where just in general, the circumstances are not exactly ideal. So he's he's on pace for almost 40 goals. He's on pace for somewhere around that over the course of a full season, right in the ballpark of it. So, yeah, I mean, I don't really know what more you can ask from the guy. And I think that if anything, this just goes to support what, so many of us have been saying for the past three, four years now, as we've had to deal with multiple bridge deals with him, that this is a guy that you need to get locked up 
long-term. I mean, not only are you getting the production there, you know, on the ice, but also he's been wearing an A all season this year. I know that's also in part due to injuries, but you'd have to think that next season that he will be a permanent alternate captain. So you have some leadership in the room there as well. He's incredibly versatile when it comes to whether he wants to play wing or now center. I should say rather, you know, whoever the, the Sabres eventual next coach will end up being, whether Don Granado or somebody else, you know, that remains to be seen. But you have position flexibility there. I think we both are in a pretty firm agreement that it should be a foregone conclusion that next season, barring something drastic happening, he should go into the year as the second line center. No doubt, I think that opens up so much for the lineup, especially when you can have a one, two, three punch of Eichel, Reinhardt, and Cousins. Then you also look at, you know, not only has he been a solid contributor on the offensive side, but he's also been great defensively too. And he's steadily improved with each year, both offense and on the defensive side. So like you said, what more can you, can you ask from him? What more do you want from him before, you know, we're ready to award him with this long-term contract. And now, no matter what happens, I think as long as they get him locked up, I'll be happy, but it's going to be a heck of a lot different what they're going to have to end up paying him at the end of this off season, as compared to what they could have gotten away paying him two or three off seasons ago, if they had the benefit of hindsight. Yeah. Thanks Bottrell. So this is, this is why it's important. I know with hockey, we want to talk about hockey. We want to talk about cool goals. We want to talk about winning. We, we want to watch wins. We want to see cool saves and all that. No one wants to be like, oh, how are we uh, valuing this asset? No, I get it. That's boring. But this is why it's important. And it's why it's important to have someone smart who thinks like that in the front office. Jason Bottrell is obviously not that. It's either that or he really didn't have faith in Reinhardt, which was also, you know, dumb. Idiotic. Yeah. And he's really Reinhardt's gotten consistently better since he's gotten in the league. Obviously, he came up for the tank season for like that nine game showcase, basically, and was not ready. But, you know, his first year, he had 20 goals. His second year, he had 20 goals. Besides that first half of that third season, which was a disaster, it's been really good. And he's the second half of uh, that season even was really good. So this is the guy you really, really shouldn't let go. The Sabres have a long history of not having guys outside of Gilbert Perot play their whole career here forwards, especially there's been a lot of great forwards here. How many of them played, you know, for more than how many even played 10 years here? Not many of them. You know, you've Andrew Chuck was almost 10 years trade Donald Audet free agency. LaFontaine McGillney. Technically I think well, Martin ended up getting hurt after he left anyway, but whatever, you know, Robert, I believe was traded. Danny Garrett was traded. Not a lot of guys have like stayed here for their whole career. And frankly, more, more re- recently, uh, Thomas Vanek, Pominville, Lowy came back. Let, let's, let's get some of these guys. Cause there's another center on, our, on the team right now who people have talked about trading and I'm not going to get into that right now or hopefully ever, but you know, it, it's kind of a good thing that you have. Like the Sabres don't have much right now. They have a lot going against them, but looking, looking at what Kevin Adams has going forward, you have a first line center who is his own, not, not as anyone in the league, but as good as or better than all but three guys maybe in the league. You have a really good second line center in Sam Reinhardt too. That's something you have. You don't know what you have in Darlene. You know what you have in Ristolainen and it's nothing good. You, we don't know exactly what we have in Cousins yet, but it's early returns are good. There's a few things you have. And right now it seems like you have centers. Don't lose one of them. This is this is probably the biggest priority of the offseason to me because it, I, in my mind, they're not trading like old and they shouldn't be seriously considering that yet. And he, I don't think, will be forcing a trade before his no-move kicks in. So I think the number one thing they have to focus on, 
is Reinhardt. And then number two is probably goaltending. And after that, there's a lot of, there's obviously a lot of other things getting any wingers who can score, but yeah, I, I think this needs to be sorted out. They need to be talking to his agent every day. They need to be like, Hey, what do you, you know, what do you want? You know, we, you got a, you got a sandwich idea for Harbor center. We got a, you got a salad idea for healthy scratch. We can use your idea. You can, I don't know, design some merch if you want. Wow. You're offering him up some big stuff here. Yeah. Whatever you want, bud. Cause obviously you're going to have to overpay. Like we have to overpay for anyone to come to or stay in Buffalo, which I'm fine with, but I would not be fine with, especially not fine with him moving. And, you know, conversely though, here, if he is, or his agent is kind of like, you know what, we're just going to take the one year and explore our options next year. Probably have to trade, which that is sad. Makes me so sad. Yeah. So sad. And sadly, I agree. We aren't going to have to worry about Eichel's no trade kicking in until after this coming season. So I believe it's the, what, 22-23 season, I think, is when that kicks in. So realistically, we've said this the last probably three off-seasons that this next upcoming off-season is the most important one, arguably, in franchise history. This next one, like, actually is, though. Yes. Definitively. This is, like, so much more important than... I would honestly say maybe any off season in the team's history, if you really want to think about it, maybe rivaling 2007 potentially, but <laughs> ram- really rose to the occasion on that one. Well, right. And, and the ramifications of what could come from next year are fatal in reality. If they bottom out next year, I think Jack is gone. Realistically, I think it's going to have to happen then because you're going to have to do it before free agency starts. And you're going to have to probably make a deal around the time of the draft with him to trade him. If you just like crater next year with Reinhardt, like you said, critically important that they do this. But I think something that's like a key distinction here is you might see people who will say, and again, by people, I mean like idiots who will say, you know, Oh, well we just gave Jeff Skinner $9 million and look how well that turned out. You gave Jeff Skinner $9 million to do one thing. You would be paying Sam Reinhardt like seven, seven and a half million, whatever it will end up being the number for him to do a lot of things. He's a consistent goal scorer. He probably has the best vision on the team and his vision combined with his passing ability makes up for any lack of speed that he has compared to other guys. Again, he is sound in his own zone. He is very responsible defensively. It's pretty much, I mean, at least for him being like on the wing too. You know, anytime that he's on the wing and the puck is goes up the boards to him, there's a very there's probably like I don't know the number off the top of my head, but it's a high chance that the puck is getting out of the zone yeah. far more often than not. Extremely rare that it doesn't. He so you have all of those things mixed in with some solid positional flexibility, which you really do not have and haven't had with any forwards that you could say that it at least would like make a difference to the makeup of the roster. And with him, you do have that. And to put the cherry on top, I've been thinking about it a lot lately. And yeah, next year is a very pivotal off season. This year has pretty much been a disaster. I mean, I would say Ralph Kruger's tenure was a disaster, but the pieces are there. Yeah. They are only realistically a few moves away because if you think about it next season, say the top line, you have Jeff, Jack X second line, Maybe you do something like middle stat, Reinhardt, X. Third line, you have Cousins, R2, and maybe Bjork. And then your fourth line is set too because you're going to, if they bring back Gergensen's whatever, I don't think a proposal will be here, but you're going to have Asplund, 
He'll definitely be there. Maybe Bjork gets moved down and plays more of a fourth line role. We don't know with Tage. I mean, he's got two more years at 1.4 a year. But then on the defensive side of things, Ristolainen, and I think he, I do think that this offseason will be the year that it happens because he only has one year left on his deal. You know, he's not going to resign. So you're going to have to move him. So I didn't include Victor Olsen with my forwards because I think that you can move Ristolainen for maybe that second line winger. And then you move Olofsson for maybe reinforcements on D and somebody who's a legitimate top four defenseman or vice versa. You move Risto for it. You go D for D or you do fourth fourth Olofsson. But I think it's probably more likely that it would be more of a Olofsson for a D Risto line and for a forward type of setup for what would be at their disposal. And of course you're going to include other packages in that, but that's a pretty good structure of a lineup there. You know, if you're really only filling in a couple of wing spots, your defense, generally speaking, is going to be pretty set with Darlene, Borgen, Bryson will be there, Yoki Haru, uh, Samuelson has looked okay. I mean, maybe he's a bottom pair guy for you next year. So you're maybe filling in a top four defenseman, two top six wingers who don't have to drive. Play. Very important to keep that in mind too two top six wingers and your goaltending and you're a good team then like you're solid and you should be competing for a playoff spot, even with the divisions going back and having to be in a tougher division again. So it's probably Reinhardt. Number one, two is figuring out how you're going to handle the Darlene situation. But Reinhardt, I think is definitely top priority this offseason. getting him locked up for at least five years. I mean, I would think that's probably reasonable. Take him till he's about 30 or 31, and then you can cross that bridge when you get to it. But they're not far off. And I think that if they move, if they let go of Reinhardt, or, or I should say, if they move him, they're going to be significantly farther off. I, I don't think that you're going to be able to get something back that's going to give you what he gives you. And even if you move him for like a defenseman or something like that, where you try and pull like a Johansson for Seth Jones type of trade, where it's like a one for one for like another, you know, established guy. I just, I don't think you're going to get the same impact back that you would get in a, in a quality second line center with the kind of flexibility that he offers you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, another uh, person of interest right now, uh, Uka Pekalukinen. UPL. debut on Friday big win obviously kind of a mixed bag he let in four goals but he faced a lot of shots obviously the Bruins carried play uh pretty much outside of the uh that little flurry there in the third period that the Bruins had it was a a, I would say positive overall experience would you agree with that I mean I don't think how it couldn't be he he walked away from a win he broke the Bruins I think were on a winning streak at the what were they on like a six game winning streak or three it might not have been that many but he broke a winning streak for them. It's a depleted roster. You know, people would all, always say to not put young goalies in this kind of a position because it's kind of like throwing them to the wolves at the end of the year. But, you know, he's been around for a little bit now. And I know he's only like a year and a half or so removed from playing in the OHL, but you got to, it's worth seeing what you have in him. I mean, he won an NHL game. He had over 30 saves against a quality team who is going to be in the playoffs. You know, you only have, what, seven games left this year by the time people are going to be listening to this. So, I mean, I think it's worth riding out with him. You know, you could get in those seven games, maybe you get maybe you get four starts out of him. And you, all together, he'll have five starts this year where you can kind of get a look and see, you know, who he is and what kind of player he is. I think it's absolutely worth it. 
And I, I was generally speaking pretty happy with it. Um, he's coming off of a, he's, he's a bit removed. I, I'm not trying to say like immediately, but he's a bit removed from having hip surgery. And so that coupled with his first, you know, he still hasn't played a full legitimate season in the AHL yet, which I think really hurt them this year. I would have loved to have him be able to get a full season under his belt in the AHL rather than just like the limited action that they did get. But it's worth seeing how he does at this level now, because then at least that gives you an idea if he's somebody that, you know, I, I don't think he'll be on the opening night roster next year by any means. I think the plan will probably be to give him the keys in Rochester and let him ride it out and, and see how he does down there. But if he does well for you, maybe it does give you a little flexibility. Maybe then you are able to go out and get, you know, a higher quality goalie and you roll with him as a backup. You know, maybe it gives you more flexibility with what you end up doing with Allmark. I don't really know. I mean, I would think that the logical solution to the UPL situation is get him starts more, as many starts this year as you can, let him get a healthy workload in Rochester next year. If he dominates and plays really, really well at a high level and has that consistency that you're looking for, I mean, then you're set because on the other side of that, you're probably going to end up bringing back Allmark, at least from what it seems. And then you're going to have to get somebody to do a 1A, 1B thing. and depending on whatever contracts you end up giving out to Allmark and whoever the goalie to be named, you know, ends up being, you're going to have a lot of flexibility then if he's ready after only a, a full season in the AHL. But by that point, you're going to have to know sooner rather than later. I mean, for as touted as highly touted as he was and the way that people talk about his game and his potential, um, we're going to have to find out sooner rather than later. So I, I was pretty happy with it all said and all said and done though. Yeah. So we're at an interesting spot here with the Sabres now because they've continued to look okay-ish mm-hmm. for almost a month now, I think. I don't know. Time is meaningless. So they're now, outside of that 18-game uh, losing streak, winless streak that the NHL calls it, they are 13-13-4, and four, as in they're completely average. They're a completely average team, which is astounding because yeah. of, you know, the aforementioned, they lost every game for a third of the season which is, it's absurd. It's just, it's been super weird to, to see this. And one of the weirdest things is like, again, that losing streak was a third of the season for this year, for the shortened season. They might not finish last. And they, we were talking probably a month ago, we had the list of uh, the quiz on the worst NHL teams ever that I made, not mm-hmm. all of them, but some of them. And there's a lot of people talking about them being the worst team ever. They're not even last in goal differential anymore. Nope. There's two teams behind them now. They so they have they played forty eight games. They have eight games left. They have thirty three points behind them. Taylor, three teams in goal differential. Oh my god! I didn't even yeah. realize that. Oh yeah. my god! Columbus. God, Columbus has fallen off. Oh yeah. They they're one point back of New Jersey, but New Jersey has a game in hand. They are two points back of Anaheim with the same number of games played. They're five points back of Ottawa. I guess they're not just going to catch Ottawa. They're only six back of Columbus. Detroit has picked it up, so Detroit's pretty good but isn't that weird this is so weird extremely yeah well anyway big lottery coming up i guess this summer should be, be interesting i'm part of me hopes that they just finish second last so that we don't have to run the rip well they could end up picking first there too i just don't want them to pick first if they could pick in like the top four spots like two to four or two to five that'll be perfect top five pick but not picking first that is my goal i want somebody else to take a defenseman first overall i do not want it to be the sabers 
They don't have to take a defenseman if, if they get the That's the way that I feel like things are trending. People really love Owen Power right now, and I don't think he's the guy. I'm on the from Rocket Power? Team. What's that? You got from Rocket Power? Yeah, that's Otto. Oh, oh cool. Cool. Um, yeah, I mean, it's theirs. It's still their decision. I know, like, I mean, if you go back in time, obviously now in the 2014 draft, Drysdale would go first. But even if you just look at the draft for what you had at the time, he probably should have gone first. And he went third. And people didn't even think he would have went there. No. There was even no, no. potential that he could have gone to four or five. He could have gone to Calgary. That would have been interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Seems like, to me, maybe it's not the best idea. I mean, you look at the guys at the top of the draft. I know I've been kind of like half-joking like the uh, – Capo Caco and Alexis Lafreniere are busts, but like there are very few forward busts. At the very least, forwards score when they get picked at the top of the draft. Like there's not many Nolan Patrick's. Now those guys might be busts, Lafreniere and Caco. I mean Caco especially. Uh, but it's it's weird. But like most forwards score, you know, like the, the, how many top five defensemen picked just don't seem worth it. Like right now, Darlene kind of doesn't. We'll see how he progresses. But like Ryan Murray doesn't seem like he was worth it. Eric Johnson doesn't seem like he was worth it. Not not that high of a pick at least. Right. Um, every one of those Ekblad, guys. is Ekblad worth it? Was Ekblad worth the first overall pick? I no, mean, probably not when you look at who's behind him, but he's at least been like really good now. Like he's yeah. blossomed into, I think what they were hoping for when you take a defenseman first overall, I mean, Makar and Heiskanen are, I guess you can, you know, put them in the conversation too, since they went three and four respectively or four and three respectively, whatever it was. Um, but you're right. I mean, more often than not, or maybe as it's it's way more of a coin flip when it comes to defense been taken in the top three or the top five as compared to forwards, because far more often than not, it works out like you're more likely to get a guy like a Taylor Hall, who is really solid and contributes as compared to you are to get like a nail Yakupov. Here's here's a good example, I think, that Columbus had earlier this this past decade. They took Murray second overall and then. I think the year before that they took Johansson fourth overall. And it's like, to some extent, they're both disappointments, but like, that's what a defenseman disappointment looks like with Murray. And he's had injuries too. I know. Whereas Johansson, like, or Johansson, I don't remember which one he goes by. That's the one that like, okay, well, he's not as good as we thought, but you can put him out there and he can get 25 goals and 50 or 60 points. Like you take that, you Mm -hmm. take guys like that. That's obviously forwards are safer. Uh, But as I understand it, you have a quiz for me. I do have a quiz for you. Yeah, I'm actually using a, a quiz that you had come up with that we just formally named over under same is the game that we are going to be playing. So the concept for anybody who may have missed our previous episodes that we've done this, I am going to give two bits of information, NHL related information, and Taylor has to tell me which number is larger or the same. So I think that was a pretty poor way of describing it, but you'll get it when we get into it. So first off, Taylor, what I want to know from you, what is larger Toronto's cup drought or Brian Campbell's career high in points for a season, or are they the same? Oh, wow. Okay. So the cup drought's 54 years. Uh, I'm going to guess it's tough. That's right around where I thought it'd be. You know what? He was good. I'm going to say his is higher. You are correct. Brian Campbell's career high in points for a season is 62. Was that 0607? Yeah. Or actually, no, I think it was at, it was 0708. Let me oh, it, he went to San Jose. Yeah. Yeah. 
they were good. They were quite good. Yeah, yeah. Let me, uh, I can double check on that for you right now. Yeah, he hit 62 points in the 2007-2008. He had 43 with the Sabres in 63 games and then had 19 points in 20 games with San Jose in the regular season. Yikes. Wow. Pretty good, that Brian Campbell, wouldn't you say? And you're going to be shocked about San Jose lost in the playoffs to a lower seed. What? Who would have Dallas that seen that happening? Yeah, I think it was Dallas. And then didn't matter, though, because the 08 Red Wings were uh, they were a wagon, as the kids say. Indeed. So Taylor, tell me, what is it over under the same Daniel Briere's point total as a saber or Chris Drury's total games played as a saber? Okay. So Mm, Briere got there first, but that's just like at the end of a season. So I'm not sure that matters, but he also got hurt. So his career points, you said versus Drury's career games. Correct. Yeah. Drew was there for th- three seasons. Mm-hmm. So and he, I don't think he got hurt much. That's so like more than 240. Briere would have had like very productive time though while he wasn't or while he was healthy. Hmm. So Briere ended the season in 03. That's like say 10 points. And then he had like 65 points. So they'd be like 75. Then he would have had like 50 ish in 0506 because he was hurt. And then he had 95. So I'm going to say. I'm going to say Drury, but not by much. You are correct. It is very close. Briere's total point or Briere's point total as a saber is 230. Chris Drury's total games played as a saber, 234. Wow. Very close. All right. Similar one here. What do we have over under the same for Ryan Miller's career win total or Marty Baran's total games played as a saber? So Miller's career win total. Or Baran's total games played as a saber. Hmm. Miller, of course, has racked up a lot of wins in his career, but Baran our all-time leader in sabers in, forever. All-time leader in sabers wins. Mm-hmm. So his wins as a saber, Baran's games as a saber. I'm going to go Baran because he was there for a long time. That is actually incorrect. Ooh, wow. Ryan Miller's career win total is 390, and Marty Baran's total games played as a saber is 300. Wow. Yeah. How, how many games did Miller win as a saber? No, that was Miller's career win total. Oh, it was Miller's whole career versus Marty as a saber? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Well, I guess I wasn't listening. Yeah, well, that'll that'll cost you. All right. All right, Taylor. You ready for this one? This is an interesting one, too. More career power play goals. Gilbert Perot or Pat LaFontaine? And that's total career. So their goal total is pretty similar. Overall goal total. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go with LaFontaine. You are correct. 156 power play goals to Gilbert Perot's 134. Wow. All right. Who has more all-time points as a Sabre? Over under same here. Phil Housley or Rene Robert? Oh, man. Phil Housley had so many points for a defenseman. So I'm going to say him. That is correct. By a very, very, very slim margin. Phil Housley's uh, career points as a Sabre is 558, while Rene Robert was 552. Wow. Okay. Who has more goals? And I'm not going to give names, 
the Sabres all-time leader in goals or the Toronto Maple Leafs all-time leader in goals? For their respective team? For their respective team. Well, the Sabres is Perot. And I'm guessing the Leafs is Sundin. And Sundin, I think, played elsewhere. So I'm going to say Perot. That is correct. Very nice. 512 for Gilbert Perot versus 420. Nice for Matt Sundin. Wow. Swedish uh, king, Matt Sundin. All right, here we go, Taylor. Over under the same. Miroslav Shatan's shorthanded goal total as a saber or Marc-Andre Grignani's career point total as a saber? Okay. Um, so we learned when we did that that quiz game thing with uh, Walter and Billy a, f- a few weeks ago from Sabres Metrics Pod that Shatan killed penalties and scored a lot of shorthanded goals, which is something that I do not remember. Mm-hmm. And I, it's just weird considering his reputation and his skill set. But anyway, That's why I brought it up. Yeah, Gragnani did not play very much, and he was not very good. So I'm going to go with Shatan. It's the same. The That's same. Wow. Back. What is it? Fifteen. Fifteen. Fifteen shorthanded goals. He was probably here like seven years. He scored multiple shorthanded goals a year. Crazy, right? Yeah. All right. Now Taylor over under same. Dominic Hashik's. Vesna wins as a saber or the total number of both Selkie and Calder winners in franchise history for the Sabres. Ooh, okay. So the hashtag one is six. So I think, I think Perot won the Calder Myers won the Calder Barrasso won the Calder Pekka won the Selkie. That's four right there. Hmm. But who else? Selkie. I don't know if the Selkie guys. Let's see selkie i mean ryan o'reilly won the selkie but not as a saber not unfortunately yeah <laughs> uh did craig ramsey win the selkie you know what i don't think he did i think it's gonna be hashik well taylor you are right and you're wrong you oh. are correct in that dominic hashik does have more wins six than the sabers have combined selkie and calder votes but there's actually five and you know what you were specifically wrong about craig ramsey does have a selkie oh my god he does yeah he does oh yeah wow so i i should have just said that I mean, it doesn't matter i was right anyway but Six like to five yeah yeah wow so i was right though it was perot myers and barrasso correct wow pretty nuts pretty nuts you're doing pretty well i think you only have two wrong right now so far with two to go let's let's do it all right, over under same, even strength goals as a saver. Jason Pominville or Thomas Vanek? That's an interesting one because Vanek is definitely way ahead on total goals. Ah, man. He did, he was a very good power play player, and Pominville came back. So, based on the way you're asking this, I'm going to, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say same. Incorrect. Oh man. Jason Pominville actually is the correct answer. He has 159 even strength goals as a saber is to Thomas Vanek's 145. So does Vanek have like 140 something goals on the penalty or on the power play? That, that's yeah. insane. He, it's like about half his goals on the power play. Uh, I can tell you right now, even strength career goals, 285 power play goals, 131. Wow. Or excuse, yeah, yeah. 
Good that's like total. That's career total. Yeah, right, right. He played for everyone after us. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, what's the last one? All right, well, our last one that we have here. More games played as a Sabre, Alexei Zitnik or Rick Martin? Yeah, Martin, like I said, he got hurt. and His career kind of ended when he was like early 30s. Or maybe he was actually 30, and he played for another team. I don't remember who it was. Maybe the Blackhawks? I don't remember. Uh, and Zitnik was just there forever. So I'm going to say Zitnik. It is Zitnik, but not by as much as you'd think. Zitnik is at 712 total games played, and Rick Martin is at 681. Wow. Pretty close, within about 30. Yeah. Not too bad. Look at you go. All right, 8 for 10. Yeah, not bad. 7 for 10, but. What's that? 7 for 10. What was the other one you got wrong? I just got the, the, I guess, same. Yeah, 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 right. Okay, Seven. hey, that's still pretty damn good. Yep. All right. Any last thoughts you'd like to share, Taylor, before we sign off for the day? Uh, Oscars around tonight. What do you, who do you got? Oh, is that really tonight? I'm going to have to watch that. What time does it start? Uh, I don't know, like eight, maybe. What's, uh, I feel like this is probably a better question for you. You are way more cultured when it comes to the most recent movies than I am. What do you, what do you have? Let me look up the nominees in the meantime. Um, I don't have too much. I didn't make a concerted effort this year to see every movie nominated for best picture like I have in the past. I will say I liked Mank, like I've mentioned on here before. It's not going to win. I saw No Bad Land, and I think that'd be a worthy winner if it does win. It seems like it might. I feel like every year, every single Oscars, Frances McDormand needs to be, is nominated for best actress. She's, she's a good actress. Every single year she is. Yeah. yeah. Although three, three Billboards was not good. But she was fine in it, so I guess it's fine that she won. Uh, but I would say that Every year, also at the Oscars, pretty much every year, they make just like a mind-numbingly stupid decision or multiple. Sounds like the Grammys. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it also like comes, it starts with the nomination process, which is always annoying. It's the, the kind of movies that's a quote unquote Oscar movie or not. Sometimes movies that aren't great just feel like Oscar movies and they get nominated because of that. But every year there's, it's like, I can't believe that one. Like if you look over the last decade of not best picture winners necessarily, but like Oh, I can't believe that guy won Best Actor. I don't remember that movie at all. Uh, the Theory of Everything comes to mind. That movie that nominated for Best Picture. Mm-hmm. Best Actor was... Uh... Hold on. I gotta the hell is he in that For movie. the second week in a row. Yeah. Um, it's, so it's, it's, it's a movie about Stephen Hawking. It was very oh, well right, received. Oh, right. With Eddie Redmayne. That movie was terrible. That was so boring. I don't usually do the boring thing because there's at least something going on you're supposed to be paying attention to. That sucked. Not interesting. Uh, but yeah, but anyway, this year, the two movies uh, that I think are the – it'd be kind of a shame if they won Best Picture are Promising Young Woman and Trial of Chicago 7. Now, I actually haven't seen Trial of Chicago 7, so I can't really speak to its quality, but I don't like Aaron Sorkin's uh, sensibilities as a director. Like mm-hmm. He's a good writer, obviously, kind of, but that – that's a problem. And I don't like Aaron Sorkin's politics, not because I disagree with them because they're nonsense. And <laughs> there are two things that I won't get too much into that he, at least two things that he retcons in this movie that are like outrageously offensive. So I, I won't see it not just cause I know I, I won't like it, but I think it's genuinely uh, wrong and he should not have been trusted with this project. Thanks Netflix. What are the things? 
Well, so one is that – so the trial is basically seven guys that were protesters, activists. Uh, at the DNC in Chicago in 1968, there was famously a riot with protesters, police, all this stuff. And they're on trial basically for inciting a riot. And it was a big free speech kind of deal. It's very interesting. Anyway, one of the guys is Abby Hoffman. Uh, at one point in the trial, I think it might near the end, I guess, he read off the names of like – I don't know if it was every, but it was a lot of uh, – dead American soldiers from the Vietnam War, and then also Viet Cong soldiers read all those names, and they changed, Sorkin changed it so he didn't read the Vietnamese names. And then another thing is, so Fred Hampton is there, who also, weirdly, is uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, which I haven't seen. I'm, I'm very excited to see that. Really want to see that one, yeah. Yeah, uh, true story about Fred Hampton. Fred Hampton died, like, months after the trial ended. And so they basically retconned it so Fred Hampton died during the trial, to make it like an emotional moment. That's like, that is a weird, bad thing to retcon. That's like a big thing. Yeah, right. Retconning in real life, a pretty yeah. important thing like that. Yeah, it's pretty disgraceful. So that's Sorkin for you, though. He should only write things that someone else directs. Like Moneyball and Social Network. That turned out pretty well, didn't it? But You wrote Moneyball? He co-wrote it. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, the script, I mean, obviously. Of course. Yeah, Michael Lewis wrote the book. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know how – I don't think he was – it's not like a Sorkin project like the way – Social Network, frankly, or mm-hmm. A Few Good Men, things like that. He, I mean, he's done good stuff, obviously. He's a very annoying person, though. Yeah, for sure. That's a good, that's a good way of putting it. He, he's, he's had a couple hits, but also, just generally speaking, he just bothers me. And like you said, his politics are pretty annoying. Yeah, and not even in a I disagree way. Like, let's say people probably know how I feel, but I don't have the same politics as Clint Eastwood, uh, for example. <laughs> but like, I could theoretically put that aside if he were still making good movies. But Sorkins are just, it, it, it's annoying and it, it, it invades everything he does. That's why he, that's why it's better to have someone else direct it because they can separate themselves and they can make those decisions of when there's too Sorkin and you got to get out of the situation. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. yeah. Did you anyway? Did you like um, like the West Wing in the newsroom? So I'm not, I've never watched the West Wing, and now I never will. Uh, the newsroom, I did like it. I was like probably like 19 or 20 when it came out. I kind of liked it for a little while, uh, but it was terrible. And I'm looking looking back at it now with some of the scenes that they were just always terrible, and I didn't realize it because I was too young and stupid, I guess. Yeah, it's that's another thing. That's it's not even just politics. It's opinions on everything. Awful. Yeah. And yeah, the newsroom is a great, is a glaring example of the failure of his limited point of view. Yeah. He, but that's the problem with that show too. Cause I definitely, I like the first two seasons of it. The third season, I think they just handled it so poorly um, because I think I liked it. I, I allowed my fact, like the fact that I loved the concept of it to make up for a lot of the shortcomings of the show. Does that make sense? Yes. Cause it's such yeah. a great concept. Like I think it's super interesting. I would have, again, kind of like you're saying, if maybe you had like a different director would have loved to see more of that story be told because it's timeless. Like you could, it just keeps up with current events pretty much, except it's obviously like, it was like a year or two behind from when like it was coming out, like the stuff that they would talk about in it. But it was such a great concept that just seemed to just really go South. And then in the finale, there's that like, song that they do and that was real cringy <laughs> they do a garage band funeral song it was so cringy so cringy uh um, yeah 
but uh, yeah, I, I generally speaking, I totally agree with everything you say. I've made it through, I think I've watched like five or six seasons of the West Wing and I definitely like it, but like his writing definitely gets to be a lot at certain points. It's like, yeah. rather than saying like the sky is blue, it's the overhead view of the illustrious, <laughs> like blah, 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 you know, and just making things like that could easily be simpl- simplified, like romanticizing that you're just overcomplicating a lot of shit. Does that make sense? Yes. So he has a lot of ticks, I guess I would say, in his writing. So I was listening to this podcast about him, about the master class he did, which is apparently seven hours long. Jesus. And so the things that like kind of stood out, first of all, they referred to him as pathologically incurious, which I agree with. And the one of the other ones was that he said that you need he was describing plot and why plot needs stakes. So he's talking about guys. Two guys are on a road trip, but what are they doing? They can't just be on a road trip. So let's just say they're going to save the world. It's like, no, they can just be on a road trip. You can just write the scene and develop the characters like that. There are movies about road trips. There's a movie called Road Trip. Like there, you could just have guys hanging out. You can do a lot of things. Not everything has to have these insane stakes. And I mean, I don't know. You eventually start seeing in everything he does, what, what he thinks are cool, like what what good strong men should do in a situation is just be very dramatic uh, and good and forthright you know and take like a real like i don't know he's a really dumb way of looking at things so i guess it bothers me i don't know why i brought this up but anyway yeah one of those movies will probably win an award it doesn't deserve because the oscars aren't a meritocracy and uh it's like a wise man once said awards are stupid but they'd be less stupid if they went to the right people well said yeah it was ron swanson in parks and recreation love Oh, oh, love, love that. Always got to get a good Ron Swanson reference in there. Well, Taylor, tell me what's your, uh, what's your recommendation for, for the week? Well, I guess that was a, a, a kind of a backdoor recommendation is to, to not get too worked up if the Oscars mess up, but you know, or do, do it's your life, man. Mm-hmm. You know what? I'll, I'll do a recommendation then last year. Uh, best picture went to a very deserving movie for the first time in a while and it was Parasite. Great movie. Subtitles, but I think they're well worth it to be able to watch a movie. Great director, Bong Joon-ho. What else can I say about it? it hasn't already been said. Mm-hmm. Nice. I'm going to go... Or wait, now, should I... I was going to do an album, but should I do a movie since it's Oscar, Oscar time? Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, do whatever you want. Oh, jeez. You know what I recommend? Grizzly Man. Have you ever seen Grizzly Man before? No. The documentary about Timothy Treadwell, who was an American man who for 13 straight years in the summer would go and camp in the like the forests of Alaska and live among the bears. And he recorded all of it like with a home camcorder it's meant to be serious it's actually it's you know who it's directed by is warner herzog so it's meant to be very serious and there is like a lot of serious stuff in it but just by default because of how like absurd the story is and how just the people who they get on to talk about this guy too are certainly uh interesting individuals so it's meant to be very serious but a lot of it kind of is like accidentally hilarious he captures some wild footage but at the same time, like I said, a lot of the people involved, including Timothy Treadwell, who it's circ- or, uh, centered on, are interesting characters. I'm pretty sure it's on Netflix, at least it used to be. But if you're looking for just like a wild 
accidentally funny like nature documentary Warner Herzog's Grizzly Man about Timothy Treadwell. That's that's the move. We should watch that together sometime. I'd really be interested to hear what you think about it because I think you would totally eat it up. Yeah. All right. That's interesting. Cool. Uh, I'm getting a correction from the other room. The director of Parasite is Bong Joon Ho. Bong Joon Ho. What did you who. say? Who? Oh, okay. That's how you pronounce his name. Very nice. Anyway, good correction. Thank you, Carrie. I don't know. Right. Carrie. It could have been anyone. Sorry. Well, it was, it was, our, there? It was our producer. Oh, of course. <laughs> it, was, it was maybe it was him. It was oh, this, wow. this guy Jesse Pinkman bobblehead I have here. Okay. All right. Um. So you're gonna ask me my save, random savers player of the episode? Well, if you would like to give one. Selkie winner Craig Ramsey. I have to. Selkie winner Craig Ramsey. I'm gonna go with the G himself, Martin Baran. Hell yeah. Okay. Never so go wrong good. with Marty. That's right. All right, everybody. Well, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Straight Up Sabres presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and Buffalo Fanatics. Make sure you're checking out both the Hockey Podcast Network and Buffalo Fanatics on their respective websites, thehockeypodcastnetwork.com and I believe the buffalofanatics.com. Check out all the great content and podcasts that both platforms are putting out, whether it is about the 30 other NHL teams, soon to be 31 other NHL teams, or what the latest happenings are with the Bills as we are now in draft week. Check out Buffalo Fanatics for that. And then make sure you are also going to DraftKings, as you had heard at the top of the episode, and using that promo code THPN, whether it's basketball, baseball, hockey, whatever it is that you are trying to get in on the action on, use our promo code THPN to take advantage of great deals at your shot at winning a bunch of money. Good stuff. Great stuff. Great stuff. Anything else to add then, Taylor, before we sign off? See you Thursday. See you Thursday, everybody. Thank you so much. This has been another episode of Straight Up Sabres.